Well, welcome to the Remnant Godcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast and radio show. If you've never found the Remnant Godcast before, we want to welcome you, first-time listeners. We are available on podbean.com. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, listennotes.com, player.fm, and YouTube and Facebook. All right, guys, let's dive into today. So there's a lot of talk about the market and um, a lot of doom and gloom, especially if you're looking at the Drudge Report. You can see there's a whole section that's dedicated to the economy. And we know that Democrats and the mainstream corporate media have been ringing the alarm bells about a possible recession that could be headed our way. And so I want to just dive into this a little bit and kind of connect it to with China, because I think that for some people that maybe don't have the time or opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, look into these things deeper, you know, research, you know, uh, study these types of things, let's just say, because I know a lot of you guys are busy with kids and your job and uh, who knows what else, right? Just life is extremely busy these days. And so I, I get that most people don't have the time to do the types of research that we do. Um, so I can kind of break down some of this just to kind of give you a broader understanding, a deeper understanding of why the president is trying to renegotiate with China, why we're looking at a possible economic downturn. It could even be a catastrophic, uh, game-changing economic reset. And a lot of the pundits and the alternative media have been talking about this for a while, but most average Americans really don't even understand any of this. And so I'm trying to break it down in a way that maybe you can understand it. Maybe, you know, my, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way of like if I was explaining it to my wife or explaining it to my parents or explaining it to my friends that they can understand. Because again, I take into account that I do this more for a living and research, you know, 24 seven I'm reading and I've been doing this for a long, long time. So for me, you know, saying it, it seems like it makes sense, but to most people, and I'm not saying that you're average, but just to most normal people that don't have the time, again, you know, this type of stuff is a little bit complicated. So I'll try to break it down today. Hopefully I do uh, in a way that you can understand it and you can share the video and share the podcast. And, uh, we're, you know, that's really what we're here to do is to bring this information out and to make it more understandable, to make it more palatable. Um, so that you can be informed because that's really our objective, especially for the Christian community, is to be informed. Because if the Christian community is more informed, we're more uh, able to then be agile in the way that we can respond and react and be proactive, uh, get ahead of the the problems that may be oncoming to us and, and really avert some that could be even, you know, more devastating or more challenging. So anyway, let me get to what I'm talking about. So, you know, again, there's a lot of pundits out there talking about a possible recession that's coming our way. Uh, People are now Googling the Dow. In fact, that's a story where there's a lot of, you know, Main Street people that are Googling Dow. And that's not good because that means that their, their eye is on the Dow. It's trending. And uh, this could be something that's being manipulated by Google because I believe that this is their new plan and strategy to get rid of President Trump. They know that the economy has been strong, the jobs have been strong. That's been one of his uh, you know, best talking points and areas that he can tout and speak about as far as what he's been able to do as president. And so you know, a lot of people have kind of cautioned the president or challenged him, don't make that you know, your mainstay, don't make that your biggest accomplishment because God forbid the economy were to crash before 2020, it could be a game changer and could put a Democrat socialist communist in power. But we're a year from that, you know, uh, November 
you know, we'll make one year out from the 2020 election, which will either give President Trump four more years or give us a socialist communist that will be taking over our nation. And I will just uh, warn you ahead of time, if that happens, the results could be catastrophic. And every Christian should be extremely concerned about this prospect that we could have a communist socialist in power in over a year, just a little bit over a year. Um, you know, so uh, most people aren't really that worried about that. Most people don't even really know what that entails. Most people don't really know how that would affect their life. Um, but hopefully I can explain some of that in this broadcast today. So it's kind of a daunting task for me to have to put that together for you today in a way that makes sense in less than a half an hour. Um, but here's the challenge. So when President Trump took over, the fundamentals of the economy had never really been fixed from the 2008 Great Recession. In fact, during the Obama years, which were eight years of uh, really nefarious things happening behind the scenes that most people don't realize, uh, a continuing selling out of our nation to China and to other entities, other state actors, uh, really a weakening of our infrastructure, weakening of our military, a doubling of our debt in just eight years. Just one president, Barack Hussein Obama, was able to double our national debt in just eight years. And that was a telltale sign because the ballooning uh, hockey stick moment of our economy, what that's what they call it, the hockey stick moment, because we're now in a spiral. And the reason that we're in a death spiral is really because the fiat currency system that we have, which is the dollar, and it's connected to the rest of the world's currencies, which are all floating currencies, not pegged to gold, not pegged to silver, not pegged to anything other than the dollar, which is itself a fiat currency. So the dollar is what we call the global reserve currency, and it has been all the way back to Bretton Woods, which was around the ending of the World War II era, um, all the way back to then when they had the Bretton Woods uh, agreement to, to make the dollar the global reserve currency. And it's been the global uh, reserve currency our whole lifetime. Everybody that's listening to this podcast, I mean, the world as we've known it since a little child has always had the dollar as the global reserve currency. And so uh, that's been the world. Everybody that's alive today, pretty much everybody, uh, has lived under a dollar hegemony, a dollar global reserve currency status. And that status now as the reserve currency is under great duress and could very well be changed or reset in the next couple of years. And there's reasons for that. But first I want to explain under the Nixon administration, the dollar was depegged from gold. So originally during the Bretton Woods agreement, the dollar was tradable for gold. And that was all the way up until Richard Nixon's era when they said that because of the speculators around the world, uh, you know, what was happening was is that they needed to depeg the dollar from gold. And so what they did was they pegged it to oil. So it became known as the petrodollar. And since the Nixon years, uh, since the uh, changing from the gold standard to the petrodollar, uh, that's what most of us, especially Generation Xers and Millennials, we've lived under the petrodollar era. But everybody alive today has lived under the dollar uh, you know, being the global reserve currency, unless they're like over 100 years old. Um, and then, you know, most people that are alive today, uh, if you're, you know, in your 40s or, you know, all the way up to like 50 and under, you lived under the petrodollar era. So um, the dollar has been uh, used as the currency, which anybody that wanted to buy oil from anywhere around the world had to go oil, dollar, and then you know, into the currency. So it was, it was 
oil was only purchasable through using the US dollar. Now that's been changing slowly in recent years where now we're seeing some oil sales done in the Euro, we're seeing some oil sales done in the Chinese Yuan. So there's been a shifting that's been slowly taking place. And as that shift's been taking place, uh, those same states, uh, China, Russia, others, have been purchasing large amounts of gold. So it seems like if one were to look at the situation, they're preparing for a global reset. They know it's coming and they've been depegging themselves slowly uh, from the dollar. Now, one of the reasons why it is in the interest of China and Russia and other countries to do this is because the U.S. has sanction ability where when we sanction a nation like Russia, for instance, you know, that really puts a lot of strain and stress on their economy because because the U.S. dollar is the global standard and the global reserve currency, meaning that every other currency is basically compared and contrasted and, you know, set or pegged to the U.S. dollar. Um, you know, that makes it really hard if you're trying to do business as a country like Russia and, you know, the United States is saying, well, we don't want you to do business with them. And so what they do is they place uh, economic sanctions, which makes it very difficult for that country to do business. So you can understand why they would be, you know, threatened and upset by that, you know, factor uh, having the sanctions regime on them. And that's why, of course, Iran is also really against being sanctioned right now. And we've used sanctions on so many countries over the years, North Korea, you know, Iraq, Iran, uh, Syria, um, you know, Libya, I mean, you name it, we've sanctioned a ton of countries. And, uh, you know, so anyways, Russia's currently sanctioned as well. And they're, they're not part of the G8 anymore. So that's why they call it the G7. Uh, President Trump was just at the G7, uh, where it would have been nice for him, you know, to meet with on a, on a better, uh, you know, uh, more long kind of like a you know a real meeting with president putin you know to really work through some of the major issues that the u.s is having with russia uh, but because of the whole russian collusion narrative uh, brought to you by hillary clinton and the democrats you know because of that it's been very hard for president trump to even have a sit down with putin because the news you know will just report oh he's a stooge for putin he's you know, he works for Putin, he's Putin's puppet and all that stuff. So the president, unfortunately, has had his hands tied with Russia. But again, it would be to our great uh, interest as, uh, you know, an economy, as a nation to meet with Russia, to do a trade deal with Russia and to take off the sanctions regime that's on them right now and really to normalize relations. I mean, that would be a huge benefit to our economy. Also, from a geopolitical standpoint, we, you know, it would really ease a lot of the, the pressure around the world where we've come really close to conflict with Russia uh, several times uh, because of the current state of the relationship with Russia and the United States. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the deep state not wanting the president to meet with Putin to have any types of, uh, you know, really healthy dialogue or constructive meetings that they can kind of work through some of these issues because i think the president would be willing to do that in fact he talked about that during the campaign unfortunately uh, he hasn't been able to do that though because uh, of the again the narrative that he's some type of colluder with russia which is nonsense and the president often says the fact that no one's been tougher on Russia than him. And it's true. I mean, if you remember under the Obama administration, uh, Hillary Clinton went over there as secretary of state and presented a reset button with Russia. And you know, Obama, you know, was also caught on a hot mic talking to, um, you know, Lavrov, who was, uh, you know, basically the 
man that reports to Putin for Russia, you know, his like, like kind of his version of the secretary of state. And uh, he told Lavrov, you know, after my election, which was uh, in the beginning of his second term, you know, I'll have more leverage to work with you. So, you know, he was caught on that hot mic. Could you imagine if President Trump was caught on a hot mic talking to Lavrov or Putin and said, hey, I, you know, after I get reelected, I'll have more, uh, you know, leeway to work with you. So not only that, but, you know, we got to remember, too, that the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, the Barack Obama uh, administration, you know, they they're the ones responsible for the Uranium One deal, which gave 20 percent of U.S. weapons grade uranium over to Russia, uh, which is really a travesty and a big, big security risk uh, from a military standpoint. You know, and yet we basically gave them our, you know, precious uranium, 20% of it that they can weaponize and use on their nukes. So, you know, if we ever get nuked by Russia, you know, we could actually be getting nuked by some of our own uranium, believe it or not. How ridiculous is that? It's ridiculous, but it's real. It's reality. That's actually what happened. And that alone should be treasonous. And I think uh, the inspector general or somebody is looking into that, but we haven't heard anything come out of that yet. So, you know, let, let's not hold our breath, right? We haven't seen anything happen when it comes to Hillary Clinton uh, for her having to pay for her past crimes or the things that she's done against our country. So it's a very sad, very, very sad situation, but that's the reality. So uh, back to the economy, you know, 2008, they started doing, you know, or continued a Fed maneuver, uh, which was one of the tools of the new Federal Reserve uh, under Bernanke, I think it was, where they did quantitative easing. And, uh, you know, the quantitative easing has been has continued. They did QE1, QE2 and QE3, which poured, you know, billions of dollars of printed money into the economy. And that was supposed to stimulate the economy. Unfortunately, and this was, you know, again, after the Great Recession, it was one of their tools to try to reinvigorate the economy. But what it did really was most of that money went to the big corporations, went to the elites. And we didn't really see most average Americans, you know, uh, you know, the blue collar and middle class of America, we didn't really see anything of that stimulus. We didn't really see anything. In fact, all we saw was a devaluation of our dollar, uh, which has lost at least 30% of its intrinsic value, you know. So that's why prices continue to be more uh, on food, on essentials. Um, you know, the gas prices, they, they try to suppress them. So you don't really see the gas prices going up as significantly. But if you were to look at your average loaf of bread or you know, things in your supermarket, you know, most Americans don't realize, but that's gone up about 30% since 2008. And the reason for that is because the dollar's actually lost a good, good amount of its value. And that's because of all the money printing that we've done to try to print our way out of our, you know, major deficiencies when it comes to our budget deficit. And of course, our ballooning federal deficit, which is now, you know, in the tune of $20 trillion and continues to balloon. So, um, we're, we're seeing a hockey stick moment. We're seeing uh, a moment where it's getting critical for the economy. There's definitely cracks in the ceiling of the U.S. dollar being the global reserve currency, but the world needs to reset. And so before that reset takes place, what you're going to see is really like third world countries like Venezuela, which wasn't always a third world. I mean, the Venezuela used to have a really good uh, economy, you know, before socialism, but unfortunately the socialism uh, that took over Venezuela really destroyed Venezuela. And now that country is, you know, in a hyperinflation cycle where people are, you know, I mean, basically their currency is worthless. And a lot of the people have fled to neighboring countries. Those that are still in Venezuela are really dealing with 
uh, significant issues when it comes to purchasing, you know, just everyday things like toilet paper and, you know, necessities of life. And so it's been just horrific conditions for the people of Venezuela and, and other countries are, are also dealing with, uh, you know, very uh, significant economic woes. And that's because those countries are going to feel a lot of the pain first before a lot of the Western countries and, you know, China and some other countries. But, you know, the whole world is really seeing this economic downturn. And that's because, again, the fundamentals were never really fixed. None of the major factors or issues were fixed in 20, uh, 2008 during the Great Recession. Basically, what they did was just print their way out of it and, you know, just basically bail out a lot of big companies and banks. And that's been their solution. But that solution is no longer you know, plausible. It's no longer something that they could do if they were to have the same type of situation. So the indicators, you know, are starting to read red again, flashing red. And basically, we're just going back to the same issues that we had. I mean, we're seeing people default on their mortgages. We're seeing, you know, a lot of the same kind of economic woes. Debt is out of control. In fact, debt's even worse than it was pre-2008. So, you know, people, the average American has a significant amount of household debt, credit card debts, um, you know, and, you know, we've kind of just been living this way. This is how most people live is paycheck to paycheck. Um, those that have jobs, there's still a lot of people that are underemployed or that are having to work several jobs. And people are wondering why this is. So I want to connect this because really this goes back to the China situation and what the president is trying to do in, you know, level setting our trade with them. Because right now we're hemorrhaging uh, to the tune of 400 billion dollars. That's like an, econ an, ec an economic stimulus package every year. Um, you think about the Bush economic stimulus package, it was just a little bit more than that. I mean, you know, a couple billion. But, you know, every year, you know, and it's really more than 400 billion because that's just the deficit. And then we're talking about, you know, the intellectual property that's also been stolen by the Chinese and mimicked and sold for a cheaper price that we can't compete because we have unions and minimum wage here in the United States. In China, you know, they have, you know, sweatshops and, you know, people that make a dollar an hour or less. I mean, it's just incredible. There's people that make like 60 bucks a week. I mean, the, you know, there's really no regulation. And so, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the companies have outsourced to China because it's so much cheaper for them and they can't compete. They, at least that's their excuse is they can't compete if they do it here in the United States. So what the president's doing or what he's attempting to do with the tariffs is to level set it, to make it so that it is profitable or it's at least, you know, level for a company to do business here in the United States versus doing uh, business in Mexico or China or one of these countries where they can get labor for so much cheaper. So, you know, it's at our, it's to our interest to have a manufacturing infrastructure here in the United States. It's been hollowed out uh, over decades of, you know, outsourcing to other countries, India, China, you know, Indonesia, um, Thai, Thailand, uh, Taiwan, Mexico, uh, you name it, you know, where they can find the cheaper labor you know, a large portion, like I said, to the tune of $400 billion annually, uh, you know, has gone to China. So it's the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the world from west to east. And if you were to go to China and you were to see some of these cities and how beautiful and modern they are and their, uh, you know, high-speed rail system that they have set up now in their country and they're building these megapolises, which are, you know, cities that are just kind of big cities connecting to each other, just growing and growing. And the people of China have gone from being, you know, poor farmers and uh, mainly like a really lower, you know, lower class society to having a robust middle class and a very growing and 
prosperous uh, upper class now that China is seeing, where they're having a lot of billionaires and people that have really profited from this huge wealth transfer over the last 30 plus years. So how did it start? Why did we start selling out to China? Well, that was done, you know, again, kind of around the Nixon years, but it really started happening uh, in the Clinton era when uh, Bill Clinton gave China most favored nation trade status. And that allowed us to have these really unbalanced trade deals with China, which, uh, you know, where all the companies started outsourcing China and seeing, you know, investing in massive uh, ways, you know, billions of dollars to China. And they took their investments from the United States and they went to China. So it was a horrible deal for us, horrible deal. And now fast forward 30 something years and we see, you know, the repercussions of that, which have been catastrophic for our economy, uh, for our middle class. Um, you know, Chinese people own a large portion of Hollywood now. Uh, the Chinese own a ton of real estate. Anybody that's in real estate and investment, uh, you know, corporate real estate, they know that China has bought so much of the United States uh, real estate. I mean, just unbelievable how much they own. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, so it's a large portion of our, of our corporate, um, you know, our corporate world is owned by China, Hollywood, real estate. And, you know, we continue to hemorrhage this money uh, to no end. And China has now utilized it to build a very modernized, very sufficient uh, military, which is now our greatest challenge worldwide. So even though Russia has a very significant and modernized military because of their limitations in their spending capabilities, they spend far less. Now, they've, they've gotten really uh, efficient when it comes to their spending for their military. They have fifth generation, you know, aircraft and, you know, they have a lot of, you know, hypersonic missiles and some really uh, advanced military, you know, hardware and technology. But China is really the big, big threat. Uh, so I wouldn't say look at Russia as our biggest adversary. I would say look at China because China is exerting itself. You know, they're, they're really, um, you know, you go to other parts of the world, you travel and you see, you see China's imprints everywhere. I mean, China has, they're not just a regional power anymore. They've now become a global uh, power and um, a major global economic force uh, to be reckoned with. And, uh, you know, they hold a lot of U.S. debt, even though they've sold off a lot of U.S. debt. They're, they're, you know, they're, again, they're buying gold like it's going out of style. I mean, they probably have more gold than we even could imagine at this point. I mean, China could literally just come out any day and, and just really, um, you know, change, change the whole world. I mean, if they were to, to disclose their gold hold, holdings and say, hey, you know what, we're going to peg the yuan. Instead of pegging it to the dollar, we're going to take it off the dollar and we're pegging it to gold. Um, I mean, that could really cause the whole world to have an economic meltdown. Uh, but China would really benefit in that case. And I think that's what they're preparing for. They're preparing for this reset. So President Trump has a daunting task because he has the challenge of, he inherited the situation, uh, which was dire. I mean, you know, we've already been in a death spiral before President Trump came in. What he's been trying to do, which is what any wise, brilliant businessman would, would try to do, was he's trying to build back our manufacturing base. He's trying to build back you know, the fact that we're not just a service-based economy, that we're not hemorrhaging $400 billion to China every year, you know, so he's initiated the trade, you know, the, the tariffs, and he's trying to get a more balanced deal with China. The problem is, is that Xi Jinping doesn't really want to make that kind of deal. He did, you know, he's very happy with the current situation. He doesn't want it. Why would he want to lose out on $400 billion and us giving them more wealth than any other country's ever done in the history of the world? I mean, why would he want to, you know, 
change that, right? I mean, that's to his benefit in a major way. So he doesn't want to change that. So since the tariffs have been in effect, you know, what's happened is um, there's been, you know, it, it's definitely hurt the Chinese economy. It's slowed it. It slowed their extra exponential growth that they've had. I mean, if you look at their annual GDP compared to U.S. GDP, I mean, our G- GDP, our, our gr- gross domestic product annually for the last many years, if you look back, has been dismal has been dismal. I mean, we've been lucky to hit 3%. China has been steady, you know, 6%. I mean, they've been growing, 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 growing every year. And that's how they've been able to build these modern cities. I mean, the last 30 years, I mean, their whole infrastructure, their highway system, their railways, their cities, you know, their, their, I mean, everything in China is brand new. It's gorgeous. I mean, they have whole cities that are built that aren't even inhabited yet. that are like ghost cities. You know, they're prepared to really continue a major growth because what was going to happen was is that we were going to shift. And this is what the elites and the globalists wanted to do was they wanted to shift power from the United States to China. And there's a a really good reason why they want to do that. That's because China is a socialist communist country and China doesn't have the human rights, uh, you know, uh, regime in place that we do here in the United States. So, you know, we have the U.S. Constitution. We have a system of checks and balances. We have, you know, as citizens, we have rights, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. And uh, that gives us our freedoms, you know, First Amendment, the Second Amendment, you know, the, the right to bear arms, freedom of speech, you know, and all these things are now in grave danger, religious liberties and freedoms. In China, they don't have those freedoms. Now, you know, if you were to go to China, it's not like, you know, the people are like, I mean, it doesn't look like the old Iron Curtain. Uh, you know, they, they allow capitalism to some extent, although it's controlled by the central government, but they, they do allow free trade in some aspects in their own version. Um, so, you know, the people will kind of appear free in some ways, but you go to China and try to start a Christian church to see what happens. If it's not state sanctioned, you'll be thrown in jail because only their state appointed state sanctioned Christian leaders are allowed to be leaders. And trust me, those leaders aren't speaking the full Bible. Those leaders are teaching a Chinese version of Christianity. The real church in China is underground. The real charismatic church, the spirit-filled church, you know, the ones that are teaching the full Bible, they're underground. And that's what would happen here is, is that we would have a large portion of our freedoms, our freedom of speech, you know, be taken away. And we would have some churches, but they would be state-sanctioned churches. And they would be probably equivalent of the most seeker-friendly kind of churches there are that aren't really preaching the gospel of Jesus to the full extent what somebody would really need to be saved and set free and healed and delivered. So that would be something they would take away. They would take away our freedom of speech in the, in the way that we are, you know, able to have a podcast like this, this would not be allowed. This would be censored. Um, I would probably be sent to some type of re reeducation camp. That's what they have in China where they send you to a reeducation camp where you are told how you can act as a citizen of the country of the state. And, you know, if you go outside of those parameters, you can be thrown into a jail and you will be thrown into a jail and you'll have to do the work of the state like some kind of slave labor camp in fact that's where muslims are in china you know it's funny because the chinese use the muslims outside of their country to exert their will but when it comes to the muslims inside china they they realize that they're a significant threat and that religion is very uh you know it's a threat to them and so those people are thrown into camps prison camps and um you know so it's just interesting the double standard there but you know, Chinese don't have a favorable view on Christianity either at all. 
Um, they, like I said, they only allow for the state-sanctioned version of it. They don't allow for a real and true, pure version of Christianity, and that would not be allowed. So the globalists like the Chinese model, and in fact, they're the ones that have initiated that model. So China was kind of like a test country for the globalists and those that want a one-world global government. And so they see China as their path to get that global government. So they, they would much rather have China rise than have a strong USA. In fact, a strong USA is really in the way of their globalist perspective and, and what they're trying to achieve. So um, that's why they're globalists and that's why they hate nationalists. And they're trying to say nationalists are some type of um, you know racist people or people that are trying to, you know, I mean, it's such, garbage it's total garbage because a nationalist is just someone that loves their country and wants to see their country you know succeed and in fact if you take it from a biblical perspective the lord is the one that initiated the nations because you know if you think about what happened at the tower of babel when nimrod tried to build a tower to god what they do they scattered the people and that's where the nations come from and the lord you know talks about in his word nations and walls and you know, uh, different people groups. I mean, there's so many scriptures. I've written articles on this where, you know, if you contrast it with scriptures, it's absolutely biblical to protect your people, to have sovereignty, to have, you know, national leadership. And, and you know, so that's all biblical. Globalism is really of Satan, if you think about it, because that's exactly what they tried to accomplish in the Tower of Babel, was to take away any form of godliness and to, you know, try to be gods themselves. And that's what's happening today with modern science and, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, merging of humans with machinery, um, you know, very, very dangerous situation that, you know, in that, in that whole transhumanism perspective, uh, which I'm not going to talk about today. But so it's all related. And back to what the president's trying to do, he's trying to bring back jobs, he's trying to bring back manufacturing, he's trying to bring back these things to our country so that when the dollar is no longer the global reserve currency, and that could happen any day, you know, several years from now, 10 years from now, I mean, I personally think it's going to happen a lot sooner than 10 years. I've been talking about this for a long time, and I've never seen more indicators that this is coming soon than right now. I don't think we're going to live through another major recession like we did in 2008. I think next time we see this, it could be the big one, and there could be a total global reset where the nations have to get together and basically absolve the debt and the current system, the floating currency system, and peg it back to a dollar or some, I mean, back to gold. That's what they're going to need to do because they need to bring some legitimacy to these floating currencies. They're, they're not sustainable. And unfortunately, the debt to the Federal Reserve Bank, and you know, which is a private entity and hasn't been audited in years, uh, you know, the, the debt that we now owe is unsustainable. We're, we're basically having a hard time just paying the debt. And if they were to raise the interest rates, you know, uh, it would just make it totally collapse. I mean, we don't have that option anymore because so many people have depleted their savings. So many people are leaving, uh, living paycheck to paycheck. So many people don't even have a savings past a month. I mean, most, most Americans couldn't even live one month without a job, uh, without some type of help. Um, that's why you're seeing an explosion, especially in, you know, sanctuary cities and cities like Los Angeles and Seattle and New York. You're seeing an explosion of the homeless. Well, the reason this is, is because unfortunately what's happening is, is that, uh, you know, there's people that are just not able to sustain themselves. They don't have any money left. And, you know, most Americans aren't connecting the dots. That's the reason for that is because we've hemorrhaged $400 billion a year to China. So that's where that money went. People wondering, where this, where's the money? Where's the, you know, I, you know, some people say, well, I have a job, but I'm not really making what I need to make to live in the city I live. So I have to go into debt just to survive. 
And that's very, very common. That's very, very common for most people. So even though you might think that you might be the only one dealing with that, that's actually most people, you know, are dealing with the fact that they can't even make enough money and they're working, you know, so many hours that they're exhausted. They can't work anymore. So it's not like they can take on another job. And so, you know, they really have no other option other than going to their credit. So they open new credit cards and that's, that's exactly what's happening. So when you see these people that finally, you know, are not able to sustain or, you know, to pay for their cost of living, they end up on the street or they end up in their car or they end up in their vehicle. This is a very common situation and this is happening everywhere, but we're really seeing it in a lot of America's big cities. This is because we've hemorrhaged so much money and we don't have the infrastructure, the manufacturing jobs or the base that we once had when we were a bustling nation, you know, in the roaring twenties or even in the eighties. I mean, you know, it's just a different country. You know, we're a totally different country and under the Obama administration, you know, he was like proud to say that we're a service-based economy. Well, that that's, what is a service-based economy? The only thing that we're sending out to the world is the U.S. dollar. So we're printing dollars, we're sending out dollars, and because we're the global reserve currency, we're getting back goods in exchange for paper. But, you know, if you take away that global reserve status, what are we going to do? We're going to see hyperinflation, and we're going to see our dollar worth nothing, and no one's going to want anything. That we, What are we making here in the United States? I mean, we're not making that much anymore. Even our car industry has been hollowed out. And, you know, we've sent so many of our factories to Mexico and China and other nations, uh, back to what I was saying earlier. So, you know, I understand it from both standpoints, because if you're a CEO of a country, of a company, you know, if you're a CEO, you're looking at a profit, profitability and you're saying, well, I can't be profitable and compete with my competitors unless I go outsourced because, you know, they're, they're going to China, they're going to these other countries. We have to go there too in order to be competitive. So it makes sense. I mean, even Donald Trump had to do that. You know, it makes sense. I mean, that's what most countries are doing. Uh, I mean, most companies are doing, excuse me, uh, they have to outsource because that's how they're competitive. But if you look at it from like, you know, if the U.S. was a corporation, you know, if the United States was a corporation, we're not profitable and we're hemorrhaging money and we would be unsustainable. And the only thing that's kept us sustainable is the fact that we're able to print our way out of it because we're the global reserve. So if that global reserve status is taken away, that's it. We're done. And that's a very real possibility. So as the president is trying to leverage what he has left, you know, being the president of the United States and, you know, the, the influence that we still have in the world, you know, which had been greatly diminished under Obama and previous presidents, you know, he's trying to leverage what we have left to get a better deal for the United States. And that's how critical this situation is. We're on life support and we were on life support before President Trump became president. So it's not like, you know, he hasn't done anything to cause this, but most uninformed Americans that you know, just listen to the mainstream corporate media, which is, you know, by the way, uh, pretty much owned by the globalists in China anyways, uh, they're going to hear a different story. And a lot of people are going to believe that and say, oh my gosh, it's all Donald Trump's fault. He's caused all these problems. And now look where we're at. When in reality, it couldn't be farther from the truth. So it's really important that you become informed. It's really important that you understand what's going on in our world. Because if you understand this, you know, then you're going to be able to wake up other people and hopefully we can get more support and get President Trump reelected because that's really our only hope here. I hate to say that, you know, a lot of Christians out there, well, God's our only hope. Well, of course, yeah, God is our only hope, obviously, and prayers of the saints of God and to turn from our wickedness and to repent as a nation. Yeah, that would pretty much change everything and we definitely need revival. But looking at it from a, simply from a business standpoint, unfortunately, there's no way if a Democrat gets in or a socialist gets in and they implement more of their policies and we continue, continue to hemorrhage money to China, you know, we're not going to be able to last. Uh, I don't even know if we'd be able to last eight more years. I, mean, I really don't think we would as a country. We would see 
uh, a major economic reset and uh, a major ballooning of our debt and deficit to the point that it's unsustainable. We're already there right now, but I mean, you know, they would just it would just make it that much faster. So if you care about your country, if you care about your future, if you care about your kids, if you care about your house and your assets and everything, you know, America, you know, then you have to understand that's how crucial it is to get Donald Trump reelected. And you say, well, how does that have anything to do with it? Because he's trying to set a a trade uh, deal with China that would actually not hemorrhage the 400 billion, but would actually set us in a place where we can be profitable again as a country. And that's what he's trying to do. And China really isn't that interested. But when they're seeing us do these unilateral trade deals with Great Britain, you know, we're looking to do that now that Boris, Boris Johnson's in there. Uh, we're looking to do it. You know, we already set something up with Prime Minister Abe of Japan. You know, these are these are fluid deals that are going to be bringing billions of dollars into the United States. So they're they're helping. But again, it's like it's like, you know, taking a bucket and throwing it onto a fire. I mean, you know, it helps. It's positive. It's stuff that we need. We need a president that's out there fighting for our nation. That's you know putting America first. That's thinking about good trade deals and all that stuff. But again, because it's so late in the game, you know, I've always been skeptical. If President Trump can pull something like this off, he would be, you know, probably the most brilliant man in history. To be honest with you, <laughs> other than Jesus Christ, who isn't a man, you know. But um, I mean, really, if you think about it, if he's able to bring back America and you know give us another 20 or 30 more years of sustainability as a, as a great nation then he really has pulled off the greatest uh make america great again you know i mean just the greatest thing in history as far as our country at least because no one's been able to do that before none of the previous presidents or administrations have even come close um and so he would really be you know probably the best president in history but he's trying and uh i see what he's trying to do and many others that are informed to understand the the complexity of the situation they see what he's trying to do also and it's big it's huge and if he were able to bring back our manufacturing base level set us with china where we stop hemorrhaging the money do a lot of uh bilateral trade deals with countries like great britain and japan and others uh you know hey we might stand a fighting chance and and live to see another day and that's how critical this is so you know what we have when we come to 2020 is we we're looking at socialism from a Venezuela perspective, I mean, we could literally be like Venezuela in less than 10 years if we get a Democrat socialist in. I mean, that's really what we're going to probably look like. Um, you know, you're going to have a great, great disparity. You're going to see, you know, people die by the millions. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how catastrophic it would be to be implementing socialism and communism here in the United States, which is what like AOC and Bernie Sanders and even Kamala Harris and others, that's what they would do. Uh, not to mention take away a good portion of our rights. So they're they're just they're basically puppets for China. They're puppets for the big corporations. They're puppets for the deep state. Then they got you know Donald Trump, who's on the other side, who's trying to fight, and uh, he's got the mainstream media and just about everybody else against him. So uh, you have to understand how how deep this battle is. It's a battle between light and darkness. People say, well, you know, I don't think that a politician can fix our problems. Listen, what we truly need is revival, and you know everybody knows that we need pastors that lead, that speak the truth you know, that stand for righteousness, that preach about repentance and, you know, the blood and the cross of Calvary and that are actually getting people saved and set free and healed and delivered. That's true. We need that more than anything. We need to return to our first love, Jesus Christ. We need to stop the moral debauchery in our nation. We need to stop the degradation that's been happening for decades now and to turn from our wickedness. That is the most important thing. And I think that simultaneously we would see changes in the economy and all those different things. But from a business standpoint, from a political strategist standpoint, and from a voting on our values standpoint, 
There is no comparison between the Democrats and Donald Trump. It's not even comparable. It's night and day. And it really, you know, what we see with Donald Trump is a man that's trying to fight to bring back jobs, manufacturing, you know, trying to level set the bad trade deals and give us a fighting chance. And then you got the Democrats who would literally just cast us into oblivion. I mean, that would be the end of our country in a matter of years. And it's that, it's that significant. It's that significant. And we would lose our rights and, you know, could very well be led by the Chinese within a decade. I hate to say it, but, you know, or some type of UN police force that would come to basically take control of our country and take away our guns and our rights. And we'd be a whole nother society. And uh, we'd see hyperinflation and, you know, a great disparity of wealth and a lot of people without employment. And, you know, it would be worse than the Great Depression. It would be a true global economic reset like we've never seen in the history of our world. And that's really what we're staring down the barrel of right now. So, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at the Bible and what it says about the mark of the beast and things that are to come, it doesn't really surprise me that all these things could be happening. It doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, it's right in line with what the Bible says. But this could very well initiate the mark system. Uh, this could very well initiate the mark of the beast system. We have the technology now with the chips and, you know, the phones and the different things that they're utilizing already as far as, uh, you know, for money. I mean, China's already there. They're already using their cell phones for money. Uh, there's really no cash money there anymore. It's no paper currency. I mean, it's, it's basically all digital. And, you know, so they're already there and we're going to be there pretty soon. They're trying to initiate the social credit score system here in the United States. They've already initiated that in China. Again, China is the test country for the globalists. So it makes sense that they've already rolled that out there. That's what they'd like to see happen here. And uh, don't even get me started on the social credit score because that will be the way that they can track our buying and selling and what we say and what we do as a citizen. And if we're outspoken, they can cut us off. Or if we say things they don't like, they can cut us off from being able to work or trade or have any money. You know, being able to travel or all those things. That's what they would like to do is to really greatly, hand, you know, tie us up and shackle us as citizens and really make us, um, you know, really under the oppression of the state. Uh, that's what we'd be under, especially for religious liberties and freedoms. So as a pastor, as a Christian, that's why I'm ringing the alarm bells. That's why I'm constantly talking about this. Unfortunately, there are so few people that are and it scares me and it's sad and it's upsetting. But this is the reality that we're looking at right now. So wake up, church. Wake up, America. I hope this helped. I know I use a lot of big words and kind of it's still complicated, but hopefully you were able to absorb what I said today and the enormity and the uh, very, very crucial and critical situation that we're in as a country. And let people know, share the podcast, and we will be back with more of the Remnant Godcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast.